Hello, hello, and welcome to Behind the Screens. This is the show where we talk to our DMs and find out the actual answer to the question, why, dear God, why? With us, we have Chelsea Steverson. Hey, everybody. And we have Lizzie. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. That's okay. Is it a secret? That's okay. No one, no one can. I'm going to start by asking a question, and then you guys are going to answer it. You can take however long you want. Between those, I'm going to have lightning rounds where I ask you some questions that you haven't heard of, and they're going to be quick. Don't think about it. Just answer as quick as you can, and (laughs) we'll see how that goes. Can I ask a question before we start? Yeah. What is the rating on your podcast? What's the rating on my po- Oh, explicit. Yeah, can can I use foul language? Yes or no? <laughs> we are horribly fucking explicit. <laughs> like- yeah, okay, fucking great. Okay, good. Okay. Because when I get the lightning round, that's going to be the moment where I can't filter myself. No, 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 no. Okay, okay, okay. One of the people on our podcast, Nicole, on our podcast, and specifically cannot shut her fucking mouth. So we have to have her. Right. Just just want to make sure I don't want to upset any tiny ears. Yes, yes. Um, if tiny ears are listening, I feel like that's a different problem. But starting with our questions, uh, how do we find out which way we go? I'm pretty sure you guys have to roll initiative. Okay. So I'm going to need oh, yeah. both of you to roll a dice. I'm about, this is about to be a big die, everybody. So just <laughs> hold your ears. That is a thunk. <laughs> uh, solid seven for me. That's what I got. <gasps> Roll off. <laughs> Roll off. Okay, here goes another solid thunk. Here it comes. Oh, that's not very good either. I got a six. Okay, I got a twelve. Uh, okay, so uh, do, would you like me to refer to you as Liz or Lizzie? Uh, Lizzie. 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 Okay, so Lizzie is going to go first, and then I'll ask Chelsea the question after. So, question number one What made you to decide? to become a DM. Lizzie? Okay. Um, Decided to become a DM. Well, I'd always been kind of interested in running my own game. I love storytelling. But there were a couple of specific experiences I had that made me really realize that, like, oh, yeah, I could do this. When I was playing at an RPG convention with someone who was, like he said, he had, like, 20 years experience and such. And it just wasn't a great game. It's not even like it wasn't a great game for me. It just objectively was not great. And at the same convention, I played with a female DM for the first time. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah. How hard can it possibly be? Let's go. This is better. This is different. Yeah. Nice. That's lovely. All right, Chelsea, when did you decide to become a DM? Oh gosh, I started DMing about 12 years ago. And I started because I wanted to play D&D and I didn't have any DMs. Fair. So I learned so that I could force my friends to learn. (laughs) (laughs) And then I could force them to play with me. That's kind of how it started. I I learned back in college, uh, my fight combat teacher actually at SCAD taught me to play and it was great. And he always ran and he was just a fantastic DM, a great storyteller really blew my mind uh and i became obsessed and then we played a lot with other students and stuff when i was at school and then when i left and i came out into the real world as all good college kids do nothing was as it seemed and i didn't have anybody to play with when i moved to atlanta and so 
I was like, well, I'm going to go buy a book and I'll do it myself. And that's how I started doing is I learned and then everybody around me in the internship I came to Atlanta for, I forced to play. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Guess you can be part of this class. I'll teach you stage, stage combat, but you have to play D&D with me. <laughs> yeah, we it was it was funny. We used to um so we, you know, I was I really loved fight combat. You know that about me. Um, and uh he was like, "You're really great at this. Would you like to come with me and some other kids we meet on Sundays in the park uh, in Savannah?" He's like, "And we just play D&D and sit on a mat outside and play D&D." And I was like, "Yeah, I think I would like to do that. That sounds <laughs> yes. great." And it was it was very cool. Uh, it was really really cool to uh, to kind of start there and, and he really inspired me as as a as an upcoming gm i guess you could say he really inspired me in the, his storytelling style so yeah that's nice. fair that makes sense that's that's a new story you don't often hear like oh i had a good mentor for being a dnd for being a dm it's usually like everyone around me is terrible I, no one knows how to do this i really want to play and so i learned how to do it myself like having a mentor is a little fair <laughs> oh, I definitely have some horror stories. Like, well, and I we could go into a thousand of those, but yeah, I definitely. When I first started, I wasn't in the internship, and I took a bold chance and went and played with some guys at Georgia Tech uh, when I first moved to Atlanta, and they were very different style of gaming than I was, and I was Oof. miserable at the table. They were like crunching numbers, they wanted to stack stuff, and they were kidding. I was like, I just would somebody talk to me and. A character voice, please. You know, like, I just wanted like some direct interaction for gameplay. So, anyways, oh um, my gosh, but yeah, but it does. Yeah, it was uh, my my mentor was uh, was quite an inspiration. I guess that's awesome. I love that. Next question: How do you make your table a welcoming place for your players, Lizzie? Well, my experience looks like uh, I only started DMing a couple of years ago, and since then I've been running a lot of one shots kind of by design. So one of the things I do for a one-shot, especially because I'm often running one-shots for mixed tables of experienced and inexperienced players, is that I'll have them introduce themselves. So very important to start off all on the same level in that way. And I also, if I'm running a campaign, I'll add a questionnaire, something so that they can let me know if they have any specific requirements for the game that I can then put into it. Okay. So like what kind of requirements? Like, Oh, um, things like, are there any subjects that I should definitely not dive into? You don't have to tell me why, but let me know so that I don't accidentally, you know, bring up your worst nightmare in the game. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fantasy land and crazy yeah. things happen. Yeah. It's a fantasy. It's not working through your uh, deepest, darkest nightmares. Yeah. I was mostly. actually... <laughs> mostly. <laughs> yeah. That's called therapy. Yeah. Or Barovia. Therapy D&D or Barovia. Mm -hmm. True. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I was actually telling Chelsea before we started that and the way we met, or in person, was I went to one of the games at Imperial Outpost. Shout out, yeah. I guess. They're an awesome game store. We went there and we... Sat down at a table, completely new people. I was terrified because I had no idea what was about to happen. Never played. We played Lasers and Feelings, um, which I had never played before. <laughs> and the first thing you did was you handed me a piece of paper and you said, write down your name and your pronouns. And I was like, this is a safe table. Yes. Like yes. I immediately just like took a breath. I was like, oh, I don't have to be like everyone here is chill and comfortable. Like I immediately like my... My shoulders relaxed, my jaw unclenched. 
And more than that, I remember that room being both extremely loud and full of people who like game, like people who are there all the time gaming. Yeah. And that's just one of the things that I try to do, you know, write down the index card, write down your name. I need to be remembering your name throughout the whole game. Yeah. If you're new to me, if you're new to each other, I hate circumstances when I just those uncomfortable moments where you're like, oh, I met you like 10 <laughs> minutes ago and what's your name? I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's true. There's that. Yeah. And, but I mean, even the simple act of asking how someone likes to be addressed or would yeah. prefer you address them is a level of respect that some DMs do not afford their players. And just starting with that, I immediately knew that you that I was comfortable playing with you. Like I was like, all right, and I'm not. I don't like RP. Blazers and feelings is all RP. Oh, <laughs> Blazers and feelings is all RP. And if you remember, I did pretty good RP mm-hmm. because I was incredibly comfortable at the table, even though it was my very first time. Yeah, I also try very hard to just take that RP out of people if I can. Just mm-hmm. dig and you know, I'll ask you questions of your character. Specifically, I won't just, we don't just start with character creation in places of feeling specifically. I'll ask you like, oh, you have a thing? Well, if you're a robot, what does, what do robots mean in this world? What has that affect your character? And we kind of dive into it a little bit, even in our limited time in a one shot. Yeah, it felt very, um, it was very gentle coaxing or um, it was, rather than forcing me to RP, it was a lot more gentle. And I appreciated that for sure. Thank you. Chelsea, how do you make your table a welcoming place for your gamers? Nowadays, my table is actually a digital <laughs> uh, I play like 30 hours of tabletop a week online with people and run a Twitch Living channel. And I literally got off a game just before this uh, on my <laughs> Twitch channel. So this is what I do. And a lot of mine, kind of like what Lizzie was talking about, is uh, first time people or um, I don't know them. I do a lot of what I call community games where I, I just drop a time slot and people sign up for it. And I don't know who's showing up to my table. I give them open criteria and they just come. Uh, but m- my channel, the community that I create is about that comfortability of finding a safe place. It's very, very LGBTQIA friendly. New people are completely welcome. Yet a lot of people are like, I've never played D&D. It's kind of a humbling experience being somebody's first time, like a DM for somebody for the first time. It, it's, it's a joy, uh, something that I find great joy in. So it's really important to have just a staple set of, I guess you could say, rules or um, things that I use at my table. And I have a set of safety tools that I use that one of my friends created. Um, it's actually like a PDF packet called Tabletop Safety Tools, and they're wonderful. They talk about ways, especially in the digital realm, because we're not at a table and it's hard to empathize when you're on the other side of a screen with a person and it's hard to like read a room when you're not in a room. So this safety toolkit provides um, a series of tools that you can use to make sure your table is safe. So those include things like what we call the N, X, and O card. So like in chat, if we're live on screen, the last thing you want is to have to be like, sorry, DM, this has gone too far. Like this makes me uncomfortable because you're never going to do that live on screen in front of an audience, right? So Mm -hmm. in your private chat, you can send the letter X and that tells your DM automatically without question. I don't need an explanation. Whatever topic that we are on has triggered something for you. Mm -hmm. 
the end card is basically like we're getting ready to cross what's known as a line. We're getting really close to something and it's better if we just narrate out of the situation. Um, and the O card is actually in a place because I love role play. And my tables are always very role play heavy, which means sometimes we get in situations where our characters in role play may be crying or it may get very emotional. And it doesn't mean we're not having a good time, but we need to let everybody else know that. And so the O card allows us to understand that I'm having a blast, even though I may be ugly crying right now. In <laughs> right. Uh, so those kinds of things. And it gives us a shared set of vocabulary of like, what is a line? What is a veil? Mm -hmm. and, and how we can communicate at the table when things struggle. In addition to that, I, I really try to recognize that even though I'm a heavy role player, not everybody is. And over the years, one of the tricks that I've learned to helping people continue to feel welcome at the table is actually, if they don't want to role play, are you getting the vibe that they aren't role playing at the table? To go about things differently. And as Lizzie pointed out, ask questions. And one of the things I like to ask is, how is your character feeling? Because a lot of people don't mm -hmm. verbalize right? Uh, what they need is a prompted because their character, they know how their character's feeling, mm -hmm. but their character may not be a character that verbalizes. They may not be comfortable um, in, in that kind of first person interaction. So uh, asking them how they feel and then they can inform the table. My character feels X, Y, and Z in this moment or X, Y, and Z about this thing. And then everybody else at the table understands where that character's coming from and immediately creates that community back at the table that allows us to tell a collaborative story. Yeah. And that's fantastic. I think generally just knowing like look at your table if you see that someone is uncomfortable with a situation back off like yeah i have been at countless tables that my dm did not and i didn't go back like there i was and that's I, the last thing you want but i also I, okay i know i'm going out of this i'm not just answering your questions i'm sorry but i think it's also important to know it's okay to not want to be at somebody's table Oh yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're yeah. never gonna match with every person. Like the, mm -hmm. one of the first stories I just told you guys was like, I was not supposed to be at that table gaming with those Georgia Tech dudes. Like, no, but I'm sure they were having a blast. But they were having a great damn time. Yeah, right? yeah. and <laughs> I'm sure there's a different DM that's like perfect for them. Right. So don't get discouraged either. And it, and mm -hmm. it is hard, especially when you're gaming in person with people. It's one of the reasons why I turned to online. I was like, I'm gonna go to a realm where like time zone doesn't matter. I can always find somebody to play with. Uh, it, it crosses a lot of like barriers about meeting in person and those kind of things. Just true. scratch all of that. Uh, I want to sit in my pajamas and game with people. And so that that really helped me out, I think, a lot. That's true. That makes sense. I mean, I was I was talking about um, recently, uh, I sat down a, at a table at a game store and it was a situation in which I was supposed to RP and the DM started trying to force me to RP and I I'm not very good at it surprisingly even though we had a we have a podcast about it um our podcast isn't I feel like it's it's kind of in the middle we're all still kind of new we're all still a little nervous with the RP part of it um but we still like especially out I'm I'm not going to sit down at eventually table with people I don't know and talk in a character voice I would literally rather die I don't think you understand like <laughs> He, he he looked at me and I swear this was slow motion. He said, make up a song. No. And I I looked at him and I was like, I, I really don't want to is what I said. And he said, no, go on. You can do it. Just anything. Whatever comes to your head. Just make something up. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter how many times you tell me. <laughs> right. It's not going to magically happen, sir. No, <laughs> like, I'm cringing so much. You can continue to define improvisation, but I'm still not going to do it. Right. But I think, too, that, that you know, and this is 
those of you out there that are only ever a GM, go be a player. Yes. Stop just being a GM. That's called a control problem. Yes. Go be a player because you learn a lot playing under other people and it allows you to pick up skills that like other GMs have. Like you're going to, you're not always going to see these bad moments. That's also a red flag. And like, I would have seen that and been like, I'm never going to be that GM. I'm never now going to force a player. Like you learn so much when you're on the other side of the table. I can step away from the like facilitation process and just be in the moment. And so Mm -hmm. I really encourage you to do that for all of you GMs out there. Step away. Let it go and be a player at somebody else's <laughs> table for a while. It'll ch- it'll change you as a GM. It will. Hopefully at a good GM's table as well. Yeah, and a good yes. GM's table. Yes. yes. Yeah. I wish that for Hopefully. you. Hopefully. I, I wish that. You learn either way, but a good experience is better. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, finding a GM that you really like and you really vibe with is honestly finding a good therapist. Like it takes so long and you finally, it takes a few sessions, you finally get the rapport, but you get there. Um, But you have to find someone that you at least vibe with in the the beginning. And um, I did not in that session. I left in actual literal tears. So if your GM makes your players cry, you're probably at a bad table. And there's not an O at the table with the tears. <laughs> no. Um, no O with those tears. Okay. Um, so next question. This one I actually am incredibly interested in. Um, I want to state for anyone listening via audio, we are all white women at this like li- talking right now. So um, answering this question is going to be a little interesting. What does inclusivity in D&D mean to you? Starting with Lizzie. I have a couple of answers. One of them is fairly simple in that inclusivity to me is just something as simple as a GM if I'm working off a module or something. Just making sure that my characters are not all white guys. My NPCs <laughs> in game have variety. And it's it's odd, but like I, I ran uh, Fandelver. And when I ran Fandelver, one of the main characters, I just, I completely just gender switched. Nothing else changed. Uh, their name was feminized in a certain way, and that's all it took. But my players just, yeah, we love Hilda. Let's go Hilda <laughs> the whole time. End up becoming a favorite. Just even that is just like a very simple thing you can do. That was for inclusivity. I mean, obviously, asking people their pronouns, understanding that people's characters can have different pronouns in them. I. Mm-hmm. You would be surprised at how many DMs and experienced DMs are very surprised that I, a white woman, might want to play a male character. Mm-hmm. I've gotten some odd amounts of feedback for that sometimes, and I'm just, it's just the way I envision this character. There's nothing specifically to read into it, per se. It's just how I want to do that. Mm-hmm. We actually, um, Justin... Uh, yes, on, yeah. on our podcast plays a female character um, plays Safina Thornburn um, and when we first when he first told us he wanted like he wanted to do that because we did a mini campaign um, and he played a male character and when we did we were we were deciding our characters and he told us he wanted to play a female halfling we were like all right actually that's neat I'm here for that okay and he doesn't try to do like a feminized voice he doesn't it's not like when he talks as her, he's not constantly talking like this. Like he just mm-hmm. usually talks in his normal voice. And so it doesn't have to be something where it's 
offensive. It can just be, I want to play a female character or I want to play a male character or I want to play a character that does not have a gender or a sexuality. Yeah. Like, Or goes in between. There's a whole range of things that you can do. Yeah. That said, you do need to make sure that if you're playing a character like that, you're not representing them as a caricature in any way. True. I did find it in a one shot I did. I found it very easy to use male pronouns when referring to any made up NPC I needed. So if anyone was like, <laughs> oh, we walk into a shop and I'll be like, oh, the shopkeep, uh, he's standing behind the counter. It was just very easy to default to male pronouns. And I found that was weird. <laughs> and I didn't think that that was going to be a pitfall. That's actually one of the reasons why I, I try to prep as many things NPC wise as I can so that I don't accidentally like. Oh, and it's another dragonborn. Oh, this town is 50% dragonborn. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I guess that's what the world is now. Oh, my God. All right. Um, what does inclusivity in D&D mean to you, Chelsea? I started my channel because I wanted a more inclusive place to play with people. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how my Twitch can... When it, after it came out of the cosplay phase... And into the tabletop <laughs> phase. Uh, the big thing was making it inclusive. And that has been a really interesting journey. So I don't know what it means to me necessarily, but it does mean access, equal access for mm -hmm. me, for everybody, both for my viewership when I have a live audience, as well as the people that are at the table, which means that I have to vary. There are lots of different things. It started out simply being, hey, can I get an all-female game, right? And then I want to make sure that I have a diverse cast for every show. Um, now, my community game, I can't help who signs up for those, but my my actual casted shows, I, I will not run an all-male campaign. I will not run an all-white person campaign. I just won't do it because I think that for so long, we have had this image in our mind of what the gaming industry looks like, and I think it's a lie. Mm -hmm. I think that there are tons of, of diversity out there in the gaming industry, and we have allowed it to be this thing. And so all we have to do is find it. And it's not as simple as like, hey, I'm shouting out, you know, people of color, please come play in my game. That's not inclusivity. Inclusivity is going and asking somebody that's never had a chance or saying, hey, why don't you run the game instead of me? Mm -hmm. What about that's huge. Like I, I am, as you pointed out, just, I'm a, I'm a white woman. Um, I'm a white woman. And so if I really want an inclusive channel, it, it sometimes it may mean stepping back and allowing somebody else to run the game. So that's that's one part of it. Um, but as I've, the channel has got gone on, I've started to realize that there are other aspects of inclusivity more than just our demographics. It also includes the visually impaired, uh, the hearing impaired. And especially when I had the opportunity on my channel to be able to do things about it. So one of the things I've started doing is using a program that actually subtitles everything. So when you come to the channel, it's subtitled mm -hmm. right there on the screen. Now, it's not necessarily the cleanest subtitles, and I'm trying to figure that out, but it's still there, right? Mm -hmm. And in addition, I have learned that for the visually impaired, things like maps and images are not helpful. Yeah. So when you're an audience member and you come to my channel and say, look at this map on the screen, you are now isolated from the story. So I have to say, hey, players, look at this. Everybody look at this map on the screen. What you see is. Mm-hmm. Right. That's an extra level of inclusivity. Those those I, I don't know what that means to me, but it, it means it's important. It's super important to me um, because I was isolated and ostracized for a long time when I first 
started being part of the professional gaming industry. And I really wanted to break that barrier down. And what it meant is I had to create my own community and a place where other people felt comfortable enough to come to it and that I I felt comfortable enough to go out and ask. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing you want to do is ask somebody to come because when you don't have a place that's already inclusive. So Yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the, the, the things over the last like three years that I've really um, struggled with and I've started like really diving into um, because it is important to me. Yeah, 100%. Especially when you're when you're doing things like actual content creating. Like it, it's one thing. It's incredibly important that your local game store is welcoming, but it's also incredibly important that when you go home and you're watching stuff online that it's also still inclusive and you still feel comfortable and welcome. Mm-hmm. Um whether or not maybe for mo- mobility reasons you can't get to a game store, you can still right. play gaming, you can still play D&D, but it's you know, it's going to be online or even if if you have anything blocking you from enjoying this game like yeah i feel like the whole point of the game is trying to break those certain barriers and the idea that people want to exclude people from D is laughable i mean we all want to you know one of the things when i invite anyone to my channel the first thing i say is everybody has a story to tell everybody has a story to tell and so we use tabletop rpgs as just a mechanism for telling those stories we choose the characters we want to choose. We, 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 we choose all their stats and their skills and the things that make them unique because that's a story waiting to happen and we want to tell it. And that means that it's going to be diverse and it's going to come from all kinds of places. Mm-hmm. I, I really applaud Wizards of the Coast is now doing it, but a lot of other game designers are too, uh, starting to write with they, them. Mm. It's not a he or she in their books is it they them and just to start thinking about that sometimes they're like those those gender biases that we say well are you a male or a female elf well what if i'm not either that's true right our game design in and itself sometimes blockades us and 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 puts these biases in our brains these that we don't even know we're there right i i oh that that idea of like oh well every shopkeep has to be male yeah right and you don't mean it you don't mean it it just happens it's the subconscious thing that's deeply embedded in us yeah and it's one of the reasons too as much as i love D that i play actually three quarters of what i play is not D. it's other tabletop games because i'll tell you this D is one of the less inclusive tabletop games you can make it inclusive but it's one of the less inclusive ones yes it takes work it takes a lot of work so if you want something really inclusive be brave and go play another table you're going to ahead in questions, Chelsea. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I told you I'd get ahead. Sorry. Um, no, but you're you're completely. Okay, I'll come back to that. I'm passionate about that too. <laughs> no, you're completely correct. Um, part of when we started our podcast, Nathan created the world of Lanamora years and years ago. But part of his dream for this, like D and D world, in our game, there's no bias. There's like Lanamora is a completely peaceful town. If you, you can play any character, you can be a tiefling and you can go wherever you want. No one's going to be weirdly racist to you. No one's going to like, we have very specific guidelines for Lanamora. Lanamora is a peaceful continent. People are not dicks to each other because of reasons like that. And we had to state that at the beginning of the game because it's true. Reading the player's handbook, there's it's full of discrimination and this group hates this group because of literally the color of their skin um <laughs> things like that I was like saying, don't go to greyhawk great yeah. greyhawk land is embedded with prejudice yeah so we were just like hey what if we did D with none of that we're gonna take D and make it in a completely different world 
But the fact that you have the, the fact that you have to take it and set it in a completely new realm for it to not feel exclusive, like excluding to certain groups, is uh, a little telling of the D and D handbook. I'll say that. Okay, so moving on to the next question. This is one of my favorite, one of my favorite questions because I like how different people answer it. Um, how do you handle disagreement within your party? So when you are trying to tackle an issue and it's starting to, like your players are disagreeing, not their characters, but the players themselves are starting to get like upset with each other. Um, how do you as a DM kind of diffuse that or do you let it play out? What's your, how do you handle that? Starting with Lizzie. In D&D, uh, I ask them to do it in character. As much as possible, I ask them to do it in character. Most RPGs, I will ask them, if it's an in-game issue, you need to solve it in character because you as the player just function as someone who rolls dice and makes decisions for you. You're merely the corporeal form. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Spirit yes. that is acting out through you, yes. Yeah, so like if there's a question of what door do we go through, you're not, your people at a table, your characters are looking at the doors. Let me know if you want to try something. I'll let you know if you need to roll something extra or what other information you need to help you make, come to a decision. But that's just, I, I do specifically ask them to do things in character. If there's a disagreement about something that is a table issue, that is something completely different. I make sure that that's separate from the characters. Very important because you don't want someone to backstab their neighbor because in the game, don't want two players to like, I'm going to steal from them because at a game, he didn't pay me back or something. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you can't. For the pizza last week. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's, that's just silly. And there's no, I don't tolerate that at my table. Or if there's like a scheduling difficulty or something like that. That, I always keep that separate. Never punish a player's character in game for something a player is doing out of game. You need to solve those issues separately. In other games, like in Laser and Feelings, usually if there is a disagreement in the game or if there is a point where there's some sort of roadblock, be it like a physical roadblock in the situation they're in, or if there's uh, just like a philosophical roadblock, like, should we do this? Should we do this? What even is a pirate anyway? Is a pirate bad? That always happens. I will ask that someone to make a role. And in Laces and Feelings, to make a role, um, it happens very infrequently. Because if you fail your role, one of the options is everything gets worse. <laughs> And if everything gets worse, that moves something forward, that moves things along in at least in one direction, even if it's not a direction that everyone thought that they should go in, right? That's fair. So if they're standing there looking at the door, it's two doors and they're arguing, yeah. starting to get a little heated and one of them makes a roll and it gets worse maybe one of those doors lights on fire or a flood comes through and now they don't get to choose. <laughs> yeah, maybe an alarm should, an alarm happens and they either need to choose extremely fast mm -hmm. or they don't get to choose. 
Yeah. Or like a flood comes through and wipes them out and now they don't get a choice. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, well, well, I don't want the game to just crawl to a halt, but it creates a, a different type of problem too. Yeah. Create just a new, give them a different problem to solve in game. Yeah. Give them a different toy to play with. <laughs> I'm not <Makes> sure <laughs> how other people have answered this question. It's almost always different. Like some people are like, I usually put a different thing in their path. It's yours. Um, I've heard that they, some people will stop the game. Like they, they're like, okay, you guys are, this is getting heated and this isn't okay. We're not, this is not what this table's for. Let's solve the issue and then we'll keep playing depending on the severity of the issue, I would guess. Things like that. So everyone just kind of has a different idea. And now I want to find out what Chelsea's idea of uh, solving disagreements within the party. Well, I completely agree with you. If it is an actual character, char- character to character issue, it needs to be solved in game. Usually I tell people at the top of my games, I don't do player on player violence. So there's no PvP. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to play in my games, you need to be in a place where you're not going to be killing the other players because that's just not going to happen on my time. But for uh, from a player perspective, we're doing this because we want to have fun. Yeah. We sit down at a table together to tell stories and to roll dice and to play games because we want to have fun. So the moment we stop having fun together, the moment we're upset at one another, the real question is why? And I will just stop the game. I don't have a problem calling them out on toxicity. Okay. And I've done it before. I've done it before live on stream. I was like, you guys are being unkind to one another which is making this not fun for anyone. So what is the personal issue here? And I think that's hard. And a lot of, uh, maybe there's some DMs out there that aren't comfortable doing that. And I, and I recognize that. But those inlaid feelings, like player to player, will seep into your game. They will become, meta will turn into reality in your games. And it, it's, it's inevitable. So you got to solve your problems. I've told friends in person before, like, go outside and have a beer and work it out. <laughs> come back when you can play D like a person you know come back when you can when you can have fun together and if we're not having fun anymore and we can't get past the problem then why are we all playing this game mm-hmm. you know what i mean like the innate definition of game means to have fun yeah so like the base level is like if we're not having fun then why are we doing this and that's that's a hard question because you're like oh i don't want to quit i'm dedicated to this character well maybe it's not everybody needs to quit maybe it is just one person And that's that moment again. It's okay to not mesh with your group. It's okay to have to leave and go find a better table for you. Yeah, that makes complete sense. In general, I think that if if it's a situation in which it's constantly happening, like every time you sit down, there's another fight between your players. Like I think especially that would need to sit down because then I would never want to go to game night. Right? I also remind (laughs) them nobody wins D&D thank you nobody wins yes so this mentality of like we're sitting down to play a game of monopoly and i need to get all the (laughs) hotels and all the damn blocks and you need to go to jail that doesn't happen that's not how DD works it is called a collaborative storytelling game for a reason yeah we're all working together so if you sit down with the mentality that you're there to beat everybody else or or there is that competitiveness across the table from the person you're playing with it doesn't work because that's not how the game is designed we're on a team. We're not. We're on a team. We work together, you know? And even if we come at things like, well, I've had teams where you've had a lawful good paladin and then this, you know, backstabby rogue. 
you can work together. It is the GM's job, in my opinion, to start finding those lines and tying them together for them, giving them each a purpose in the same story. Yeah. Right? And putting purpose in their path. Exactly. Because these are the characters that your players wanted to play, and now it's your job to take those characters and to weave the story with those. And to weave the story. So if you start having problems, ask yourself, have you helped weave your characters together in enough way where they are working together? If not, then maybe you need to go back to the drawing board. And it's okay to have to look in the mirror and accept that as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, I completely understand. So, moving on. Going back to the idea of inclusivity and things like that, Something that I have found to be a real pitfall, especially when I'm looking for new like D&D podcasts or RPG podcasts to listen to, are accents. Because no one can play D&D without, you know, a funny voice. Funny voices are great. The goblin has a little funny voice. It's cute. But when it starts crossing the line is when I'm listening to a, let's just say white male DM and he starts doing a Chinese accent, I'm going to turn the podcast off. So here's my question for both of you. (laughs) NPC voices are a fan favorite. So how do you handle accents? How do you keep the fun variety without causing offense? Starting with Lizzie. Like you said, keep it American, generally. It's a good way to do that. There are so many different American accents, and they're extremely varied, and there's a lot you can do with them. Uh, For some reason, me and a friend have been doing a Southern accent, like a Southern Appalachian accent for um, sibling characters that we're playing on a Sunday game. And uh, that has been interesting, not only to attempt to do, because I'm I'm from New York originally, but... um, (laughs) been fun just doing the research and learning sort of the origins of these accents other than that my rule of thumb is silly voices are totally fine they're sometimes even better than trying to do a pitch perfect accent i'm not an actress at all so that's not necessarily something i need to train myself in and just generally stay away from places accents that are from places that have been colonized. General rule of thumb. (laughs) That is a very good rule. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a very good rule. Um, So like alien voices, like you can be like, that's watch watch a Star Wars. How about (laughs) watch a Star Wars? I don't know if Star Wars is the best example. Besides that one that we don't speak of. Yeah. But I mean, they have so many different aliens and things like that, and they all do have their different accents in the way they speak, but none of them are... I wouldn't listen to them and be like, oh, that's that's not okay. Like, I feel like I just kind of get a feeling in my belly. I'll be listening to, or I'll sit at a table at a game store with a DM, and I'm not saying this definitely happened, but this definitely happened, and have them do and what... And touching on the American accent... Um, the one American, again, I would say probably the one American accent you shouldn't do, uh, and started doing a character that was oh, very no. obviously African-American. And that was a situation in which I did leave the table. Um, this was 3.5. This wasn't even 5e. This was um, 3.5. So this was a long time ago. Lots of math. So I was already not thrilled. And this started happening. And at this point, this was so long ago that I had wasn't even like super aware that this was like how wrong that was. It was more like 
I felt incredibly uncomfortable at the table and other people were also uncomfortable and it wasn't a fun game. Yeah. Like, why couldn't you just do a funny alien accent? (laughs) Why can't you just make your voice slightly higher pitched or lower pitched or just talk with a grumble or something? Like, if you look at, um, this is the one example that comes to mind because I love doing silly accents for dragons and, um, the way smog is done in the Hobbit movies that will never ever be mentioned again. Um, <laughs> the way smog is done is deliciously and sing song and with the gravitas of a large, smart creature, right? You can add that. You can add those types of adjectives to your voice and make it interesting. You don't have to do an accent. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. just pitch your voice a little higher and maybe hit everything specifically. And that's a whole different character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, pick some specific words they use instead of other words that may not be in your regular vocabulary. Maybe they have a catchphrase or two, right? That the players don't necessarily need to catch on that there's a catchphrase, but maybe it helps to clue you into what voice you like to use for that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so basically what we're saying is affectation rather than accent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea, same question. How do you maintain the fun without being offensive with accents? Accent. I'm an actor. I started out as an actor. Accents are a lie. <laughs> Hear me now. Accents are a lie. You can try as hard as you want to try to replicate an accent. It will be a lie. So stop lying to your players and start living in the moment. <laughs> My question is, why the heck are you worried about doing a African-American accent or a Chinese accent in a fantasy world? Mm-hmm. Yes. Those things, those, those cultural things that make up Earth do not make up your fantasy game. So the first thing is, like, get rid of that and go to what Lizzie is talking about, which is look at your NPCs and say, who are these people? Is this a sleazy dragon? Is this a thing? And it, and you can use what I call accent inspiration, right? Like, one of my favorite accent inspirations is uh, I like to use Russian when I play a drow. Mm-hmm. Aspects of Russian makes them kind of somewhat sexy, but also terrifying, um, <laughs> right? And so I really love it. But you don't have to be and have a perfect Russian accent. Exactly what she said, which is find those adjectives or find those things that, if you're playing a highly intelligent character, you don't need a British accent. That's fair. (laughs) British accents don't make you smart or intelligent. What makes you smart and intelligent? Large vocabulary, right? Or, or, Or analytical thinking, right? Those things make a character. Accents don't make character. So if you're worried about making a character around an accent, stop because you're taking i mean because there are even offensive american accents you know we always like to play the jewish grandmother that's offensive to some people bad southern accents are offensive to your girl (laughs) to your girl okay there's nothing i hate more than a grimy awful southern accent because you will botch it so stop (laughs) because no matter what accent you try to choose whether it is you know British or whatever is going to come out and feel fake in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is completely fair. Right? Yeah. The language, the language in D&D is called common. 
language in D&D is called common. It's called common because it doesn't always sound British, right? It doesn't That's sound- a lovely response. <laughs> it's common. Yeah. Um, and when you speak common there, it, it's just meant to be conversational. Um, so stop worrying about accents and worry about characters. Because when you have rich characters, it doesn't matter if you have an accent. Because your players are going to still feed off of that. They'll still better understand that character. If it's rich and well played, than they ever will if you have an accent. And especially a really bad one or offensive one. And just like we said, it's it's affectation rather than accent. So, I mean, if you have a Southern affectation to your voice, like, right. yeah, do it. Which is like, but- may- maybe you draw stuff out, right? Like, I'm, I'm a voice actor. I love doing voice acting work. It's one of my favorite things in the world. But the things that you very quickly learn is accents are a lie. Literally, they will tell you. You can start in an accent, right? Like a really thick accent at the top and a really thick accent at the end. Everything in the middle, if you come out of that accent, most people won't notice. Mm-hmm. If you start and you end in your accent, which yeah. means all the fear of having to stay in my accent is gone. It's about being in the moment, you know, and it's yeah. just it's it's one of those things you, you find the small things that make a character. But get over this like I need an accent thing because it will offend people and it makes your life harder as a GM. Who wants to keep up with all the accents? No one. Not I, <laughs> says the Chelsea. So, yeah, honestly. And and it. I feel like it's also um, sometimes a a big drawback for people who may want to DM but are scared because they're like, I can't do any accents or I don't know how to do the funny voices. Right. And- <laughs> We're not all Matt Mercer. You don't even have to do a silly voice to DM. Right? Just go for it. Yeah, just be you. Some of the best DMing, some of the best DMs I know rarely use an accent. They're always just themselves. Like I play, um, I'm in a Vampire the Masquerade campaign and it's one of the most impactful games I've ever played in my life. As both a player, my character, everything about it. And our storyteller is the greatest storyteller that has ever lived. I will go to my grave saying that. And he never uses accents. Mm-hmm. Mathis is always just Mathis, but it's about what he puts behind the character's intention and how he says things that, that'll give you goosebumps. Right. And so I think that that's like, like it will, it'll give you, he'll say something and be like, wow, I believed him. No accent. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the, you know, the Methuselah over the city at the moment, um, over the council is female. Mathis is not a female, but we have to interact with her quite frequently. She's our prince for Pete's sake. So like when we interact, he doesn't try to put on a feminine voice. Right. He simply does very small things. Like his word choices are more nurturing because he's a woman. She's also a Toreador, so she's very well-spoken. And he, he makes his voice a little softer. And these things are just small. And they are so impactful because they don't feel like they're trying to, like, steal away from the table, which oftentimes big and goofy accents or that can do. Yeah, that's true. You as the GM set the tone at the table. And when sometimes you use these giant big accents, your players are going to expect that they have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's really important. If your characters, if your players tell you that they're not comfortable with accents, do everybody a favor and just back your accent. Even if you're great at them, back them down a little <laughs> bit. That, that's inclusivity. That's comfortability at the table. Very much so. Um, those are lovely answers. And they also bring us to our very first lightning round. Oh, damn. Oh, gosh. Oh, here we go. Okay, okay. So, again, we're going in order. So, it's this is going to be Lizzie's turn. Okay. So, there's going to be five questions. I'm just going to ask them. Don't think. Just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. Ready? Sure. (laughs) I'm nervous for you. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm nervous for you. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> okay. No, go for it. <laughs> oh my god, this is everyone's like like scariest part, and it's never that bad. All right, lawful good or lawful evil? Oh, lawful evil. RP or combat? RP. Fighter or rogue? Uh, rogue. Feywild or the Underdark? Uh, Feywild. Heist or assassination? Oh, heist. Heist, heist, heist. <laughs> the end. See, wasn't that easy? That was super quick. Yeah. Okay, that made me feel better. Yeah, okay, okay. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. Your turn, Chelsea. Go for it. I can do that. I can do that. I okay. Can do that. Okay. Chelsea, are you ready? I'm so ready. All right. Wizard or sorcerer? Wizard. Crit on skill checks, yes or no? Yes. 3.5 or 5e? 5e. Can the DM lie about their roles? No! Why would you ever do that? My god! <laughs> chaotic good or chaotic evil? Oh my god, chaotic evil. <laughs> Live your best chaotic evil life, people. <laughs> your best chaotic evil life. <laughs> Love it. That's it. <laughs> we did it! We made it! Yay! You made nice. it through the lighting run. I am so proud. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so those are the that's the lighting round. Just super quick questions. Uh, it's all mostly opinion. In general, I like to know if you because a lot a big heavily contested argument is that you're not allowed to crit on skill checks, and I always I kind of like to ask that of DMs because some are strictly against it, and I think that's lame. That's so interesting. I've never I've never heard that before. Oh, really? I'm not against it. <laughs> I'm against instant wins or instant loses. Yes, well said. I'm against a 20 being an instant win, and I'm against setting up the players to think that they're automatically going to get everything they wanted, even though they're yep. just, you know, if they're trying to, like, ram their head into a wall or something, you're not, what does a 20 and that 20 mean for that? Right. It's one of the reasons why I love looking at other RPGs, because a lot of other mm -hmm. RPGs don't allow for critical success or critical fail. Like you always yes. succeed at what you want to do. It's the scale at which you succeed. Right. Um, which I think is really important. So I a lot of the times will treat, treat my nat 20s that way. Yeah. And sometimes it's situational. Like if you do a skill check in, say, the middle of a crowded place and you roll a nat 20, you may pickpocket that thing or you may charismatically talk your way out of something and get exactly what you want. But now you're drawing attention to yourself. Yeah. Right? There's consequences for sometimes really great perfect skill checks. There can be. Yeah. Right? Just as much as there's consequences for the failing. So I think that that's DMs that live their life by like, die hard D20 yet. That one. Right? Um, yeah. yeah. Like, that. those are people that live on the extremes and like, I don't believe there's like a black and a white. Like, it, they're, the dice is meant to be used as a scale um, where you ebb and flow in the situation, as Leslie pointed out, and have to make those decisions. So. If something's a CR 12, that means one thing. But if they roll, you know, if they roll a nine, maybe that means they get it, but something bad happens. Right. Uh, your answers as a DM it, it need to not be completely binary. Yes, absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to our next question. What is one of your proudest moments as a DM? Starting with Lizzie. Okay. Uh, proudest moments as DM. I haven't been DMing as long, but I think like my first like really proud moment was when I caught some of my players discussing the game between sessions. And I was Aww. like, oh, you 
you care. That's you nice. Care. Yep. Yay. Yep. You think about this almost as much as I do. <laughs> You're also thinking about this when we're not sitting at a table. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Uh, that was nice. That's nice and affirming. Chelsea, what is your proudest moment as a DM? My proudest moment as a DM was the first time I actually finished a campaign that I wrote. Oh, that's awesome. Right? Because how many times do you as a GM, you write this giant campaign, you start playing with people, and you never get to the end of it because life's changed, scheduling, blah, blah's here. Like it never gets played and you have put so much work into it. And so I remember when I first started streaming to Twitch, I was on another channel other than my own, but I I wrote a campaign called the Gallery at Grun Rundy. And I was very proud of the campaign itself and getting to actually play through like all 12 sessions of it and actually complete it was, and then to have people at the end go, this was amazing. Where can I buy it? Yay! That that is a fr <laughs> that that made me feel really great but yeah that was it was a really great moment because the the campaign was a little bit of a passion project and very much a political statement on my part uh so i was really concerned about putting it out to the public so i have to say that the gallery running and completing the gallery at grun rundy was a very proud dm moment for me that's awesome i love that but you actually got to finish it. <laughs> got to finish it. Like, what a simple thing that you don't even think about. Um, and, and it's import. But it is super important, like, to get to, you're, you know, you're in it as much as your players are. They're getting a lot out of it. And I'll tell you, watching the glow on their faces completing a full campaign is life-affirming. Like, to watch your players, like, gleam completing a story, like. Yeah. The first time we completed, like, a book story, we were like, we, we're done. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels so, it feels so like there's like a big gold star that <laughs> yes. pops up above your head when you do it, you know, it feels so good. And yes. it's because we, I, I'm a firm believer that stories deserve endings. All stories deserve endings. We can't all be supernatural. Okay. We can't go for, on for 15 seasons. That's not interesting <laughs> for anyone. So you have to have an ending. And sometimes the endings aren't perfect, right? Yeah, carry on. There they go. Just keep carrying on, Supernatural. Just you just keep on. taking <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I, use it as, <laughs> I use it as a joke. But really, though, like in story for your characters, or for your players and yourself, it, it is it is wonderful. It feels very good. Mm -hmm. It does. Like those campaigns are like 30 years long. I would, I can't even possibly comprehend that idea. A 30-year campaign. No, I don't think I can either. No. Now, granted, I'm just now 30 years old, so, like, I get it, but... Our generation also can't comprehend um, a lot of stability. More than three years at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's also true. I was, like, being in one place for more than, like, a year. So, now getting to the question that Chelsea is very excited to answer. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, really? Oh, we're coming back around full circle. We all know D&D &D is not the only mechanic out there. What are some of your other favorite tabletops? Starting Ooh. with Lizzie. <laughs> okay, I'm going to mute myself because I'm going to get excited. <laughs> I won't be super duper long. Okay. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, there's so many games that I want to play but haven't played yet. Um, of those, I do play often enough. I, I do play a lot of one-shots and I run a lot of one-shots. Laces of Feelings was mentioned already. That's a science fiction one page, one sitting game by John Herber. Um, there are a variety of one page themes by Grant Howitt. He writes a lot of a lot of games, including uh, Honey Heist, which is one of his more 
famous ones. Yeah. That's on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, we can't have the same list. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, uh, I have played a couple of one or one or two games of Burning Wheel, which is a very different experience from D&D, but definitely a good one. And I recently made a character and played a few sessions of a fake campaign that has the theme of modern day superheroes. So it's superheroes, but you know, they can, I mean, my, my character is like a 16 year old subway manager. Who's really into YouTube and vaping. So it's a whole different. Yeah. Yeah. I have one here somewhere. Chelsea's holding up the book. Evil hat is my jam. I was going to say, you don't understand. I play everything they put out. Look, I just played a cats game the other day. Secret oh of cats. I'm obsessed. Have you played Spirit of the Century? Yes, it's so good. I own that one too. I'm obsessed with it. Okay, that, that is the campaign that I need to play because I'm obsessed with like old Hollywood. Like yep. 20s and 30s Hollywood. Love Spirit it. of the Century would be... Sorry, I didn't mean to run over you. You my, started talking no, about no, Fate and I just like like a little thermometer like exploded out yeah. of the top. Fate is my jam. Uh, <gasps> other than that, I've borrowed a lot of books from friends about indie RPGs that I have not actually read and i will get to um what are your favorite tabletop games was that it the question yes <laughs> yes i do have a quick part b that i did not send you because i don't oh. know if you if you've never played it that's fine what are your opinions on pathfinder oh oh um so i'm a print at a print tech basically like i'm a layout designer and i actually really like the size of the book I know that sounds really silly, but I'm like used the to these like the <laughs> like gigantic hardcover books. I love the half size uh-huh. book. They're so much easier to put in your bags and carry. Yeah, and uh, I love marking up that book, and it's I like it. Um, the problem is that a lot of my three five and previous experience comes from these number crunching people who. Uh, hey, I found this character and it's from a splat book that came out once that only had like a thousand copies sent, but I got it online in a PDF and I am so character forward that finding the exact mechanic is not something necessarily interested in. So for 3.5 and Pathfinder, that's in my list under play and not DM for now. That's under my list under too much math. Um, <laughs> sorry, I I never super got into D&D when I first started playing it just because I was playing 3.5 and I was just like, hey, I hate this. I was like, I like the I liked certain parts of it and then I hated every other part. And yeah. three and 5e kind of just took the parts I liked and left all the bullshit <laughs> somewhere mm-hmm. else. Um so I appreciated that. But I, I did I every single time I tell anyone I play D&D Generally, if someone likes Pathfinder, they'll tell me right then. Right then. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like part of an interesting part of D&D history, right? Is mm-hmm. you had Pathfinder like continuing on as there was this odd split as 3.5 turned into 4th and 4e. Shame. Well. <laughs> Shame. Shame. We don't so there was kind of a split of people who said, I want to play something that's closer to 3-5, and Paizo's coming out with a lot more Pathfinder stuff. Mm-hmm. And you have people said, well, I'm sticking to d and I like 4E, let's go with that. I skipped them both and stuck with 3-5. <laughs> Till 5 came out. 
Well, Pathfinder has some like pretty intensive fans out there. They do. It they does. Do. And no offense to our Pathfinder fans out there. Uh, you're you're lovely and wonderful. It's you just... can't love things. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Emily's saying. You can't love anything. And generally in the geek community, you can't love things. You're not allowed. <laughs> it's it's a frustrating because I think that just in general they're different games. I don't think they're the same game and pretending like they are is I think misleading and it's frustrating for me when I'm like I play D&D 5th edition and they're like you know what you should play basically 3.5 <laughs> I was like I don't I don't want to play that. I di- I did it and I I don't. And I think realizing that they're just separate games is important but finding the the mechanic that works for you and your table. So whether or not that's Pathfinder or D&D or Lasers and Feelings or the cat game you said. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Secret of Cats. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Play a magical cat. <laughs> so Chelsea, tell us about playing magical cats and other games you like playing. Yeah, I just played the magical cats. This is one I've always been sitting on for a while. Um, <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a through and through diehard Evil Hat Productions gamer. Mm-hmm. If they put it out, I've played it. Um, I like Powered by the Apocalypse. So anything that's Powered by the Apocalypse, you can bring that on my direction as well. But I've recently, so that would include like everything that's Fate. So everything from Fate, fate Core Base to like, um, I've been playing uh, a lot of Fate Accelerated, which is really cool, especially for like quick startups and like one, one, one pager uh, games. But I have two, I have a local game designer here in Atlanta that I'm obsessed with. I'm going to talk about their, a couple of their stuff. And then um, I've recently gotten into Renegade Games. Renegade Games used to make, it still does make uh, board games. Uh, but they have put out a slew of new tabletop games that are amazing. Kids on Bikes just won an any this year. Teens in Space, go be your best Xenon. And uh, like, they're great. And they won for best family-friendly game. And I am all about, that's a piece of inclusivity also for the record, that is age inclusivity um, and content inclusivity to be able to have content on my channel that is also family friendly appropriate. So true, true. One of the things that I'm obsessed with right now is a game called Witch Girl Adventures. It is living out your like best. It's basically Harry Potter without dudes. <laughs> this Love is it. my I'm all female it. game, I'm um, on board. and it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. You basically play magical witches, um, and you're all in like a boarding type school. You're going to school to like learn magic and you know however your gm sets it up but it's it's really super cool there are technically um like uh males play what are known as immortals those are like hero hercules types you have like fighters and you can add all kinds of extra things but the base one is so great it's such a good friendly book uh for (laughs) family so this is my family friendly but kids in space and teens on bikes both are also super duper family friendly um like one page character sheets really easy to read super simple they even have like a picture of a backpack so you write the stuff that's in your backpack like in your little backpack picture like really cute stuff so renegade games is really killing it right now um especially with their family friendly stuff but They've also been putting out a couple other games, one of which I am very excited to play. I'm going to be running it in the new year. Yes, I've seen it at my store. Yes, this one. I'm going to be playing Overwatch. It is, they call it a kaleidoscopic fantasy. Is it Overlight or Overwatch? I'm sorry, Over Overwatch is a video game. Ignore me. This is called Overlight. I'm staring at it right now. This is called Overlight. Um, beautiful it's, box. Um, it's so beautiful. This is the book. It's not, <gasps> it's, this is the book, dude. 
Like it's so beautiful. For for our audio listeners, it's uh it's a book and it's it's beautiful. It's rainbow. It's got yeah. rainbow coloring on it, but it still looks really like beautiful and intense. Like it doesn't look like rainbow unicorns. Like it's Well, so what I love about this and they gorgeous. they address it in like the first few pages is this is a fantasy game. This is not Tolkien fantasy. There are no dwarves. There are no elves. This is not your like mid, like this is not your England, like medieval fantasy. Yeah. Uh, this is very high fantasy. It's such a beautiful game. The idea is um, everything is driven by light and color. Ooh. So magic is called chroma and your magic is based on the shard that you originate from. The world is basically broken up into these floating islands in the sky um, and they stack on top of one another and each one is associated with a color and as light passes through, it gets darker as you go down. It is such an amazing kind of psychedelic view. Like they talk a lot about the influence of the book coming out of like 70s uh, psychedelic art and the psychedelic movement and I'm obsessed and I'm going to be running it. I, I haven't run it yet. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm gonna. Um, so that's really a high on my list right now because I think it's really inspired me as a GM. Uh, one of the things that I was finding is I was getting really burned out on D&D. Like there's just a point where you saturate in this like Tolkien style fantasy where it's like there's only so many elves and gelatinous cubes and, you know, castles. Man, that's real. And if, yeah, that you can handle. And I really love like breaking out of that. It's one of the reasons why I love Fate Core because I can, I can put any skin on Fate Core that I want. I played an anchor. I ran an Anchorman campaign off Fate Core. I love it. <laughs> right? Because that's a story to tell. Mm-hmm. The, the role of Anchorman. But, like, I like... I, that's one of the reasons I like Fate. So, the, yeah. Renegade Games is putting out cool stuff. Overlight being the big one right now that I'm really super stoked about. And then, on a more localized level, because I believe heavily in the indie RPG, um, my channel is dedicated to indie RPGs. They they need support. We need more people than just Wizards of the Coast producing games. Okay? Agreed. So, I have a friend here out of Atlanta. His name is... Uh, he calls himself Nerdburger Craig. And Craig runs a company called Nerdburger. <laughs> yeah. Um, his games are brilliant. I adore them. He does a lot of GM-less games. I'm really mm. behind GM-less games. So um, I could list a ton of them. Evil Hat has one called For the Queen. It's a card-based oh, storytelling game. I played that, that game this is morning. Am- <laughs> Did you? That game yes, is amazing. It's fun every single time. Every time I play it, it's <laughs> always different. It keeps people engaged. So For the Queen, check that one out. Um, but Craig does a lot of GM-less games, which means that you're literally all coming to the table on equal play. One of them that I really love is a game called Die Laughing. For those of you that want a good Halloween game, this is a good one. Die Laughing is a comedy horror game where you're trying to tell a B-rated horror movie. Oh my god. Your character (laughs) sheets are already filled out. You just select like... You're basically picking the stereotypes, the cheerleader, the jock, the like, think about all of your your horror movies, your slasher horror films, you select it and then you all together choose your monster. And they're one page character sheets that are already filled out for you. You just take them and you play with 66. And the whole point is to kill everybody in your movie story. (laughs) And you use the book to go through and you set yourself up in these scenes. So there's always like the main character of the scene and you play through it and things will happen. And when your character finally dies, you then become a producer and you get producer (laughs) points. And as everybody else is trying to complete this movie, you get to mess them up as producers. So like, let's say uh, they may use a die get rid of a die to like have a prop that they didn't originally have and you as a producer would say sorry i'm gonna use a producer point we actually had to cut budget so you don't get that prop oh my god and so they have to play it it's it's a ton of fun so my friend nerd burger craig wrote this one die laughing which i'm a huge fan of as just a great starter i laugh every time i play it, i laugh till my side starts i literally die laughing it's it is a brilliant game but 
He's written one that has hit the market. It was um, nominated for an entity this year and is really cool called Capers. Mm. If you haven't checked it out at home, you should, especially if you love the 1920s. This is 1920s America, Gangsters with Superpowers. Oh my God. <laughs> and he's had a few build-outs from it. Caper Noir came out as well as he's got a pirate build-out. So if you've been looking for a great pirate game, pirate build-out. And um, he just dropped another one. It's like a, the spy version of it. It's like spies. Uh, covert. Covert Ops. That's what it's called. But what I love about the game is it doesn't use dice. Everybody has a deck of cards. Ooh. So everything's done with a deck of cards, and it kind of works like blackjack. So you're playing in a world, the world of 1920s, like the actual 1920s as we know it, and you have stats and stuff, and let's say you want to do something or use one of your specialty magic abilities that you have, say you're super stretchy it'll tell you how many cards you can draw and you play it like blackjack so you say okay i'm gonna flip the first one and you're trying to get the highest card you can which means while you're playing a game you're also playing a giant game of blackjack against yourself because now you know how many cards you flip and you can spend points what he calls moxie points ah. to like reset your deck so it's just almost kind of like super meta but it's also really cool because it's totally thematically appropriate to the 1920s to like feel like you're playing cards you know in some speakeasy yeah. somewhere is super cool so That's i'm neat. really obsessed with it capers go check it out my friend craig wrote it and i've played it a couple times and i've run it and it's always it's always fun um he even has for the i would say one of the my favorite things about the book is actually how much information he has for the gm he has all the cities laid out and the maps are beautiful. So it's like, you want to be in Chicago, you want to be in New Orleans, you want to be in Atlanta in the 20s, you want to be, and he kind of tells you what's going on and who the big players are. And like, it's just a really beautifully done game and book. So um, I can't speak highly enough for it. Like, go check it out. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely lovely. That sounds fantastic. I could also just keep talking about games on the stuff. Like okay. all night, I could do this all night. <laughs> no, but that's fantastic. Like just, uh, I think, my biggest um, stepping out of my box was my, the first time I ever went to Gen Con. So years and years and years ago, first time I ever went, uh, stepped like into the gaming hall and the amount, the sheer number mm -hmm. of independent gamers, not even mm -hmm. just like, of course, Monopoly's there, but <laughs> there's, right. but there's, we also get small, like smaller, like indie games that you don't see in the market and um, just walking through and people who spend their own money on this booth and um, are their own money to put this game up. And they're like, I made this. Like, yeah. that's just so cool. And sitting down with the creator and getting to be like, how do you play your game? Tell me. Yeah. There was one that I still years later, like it's like five, six years later now that I still regret not buying. And I don't remember the name of it. And, but I remember the game and or I remember like the box and I remember having the time of my life, but I didn't buy it because it was like $40 and I was like, that's a lot. And now and, but it came with so much shit. And now I'm like, I can't believe I didn't buy it. I met Craig at Gen Con. Um, that's how I met him. And he was like, hey, you have a channel. I need somebody to play my game publicly. And I was like, done done this so, is old awesome. you like he was like I, I was like cool let me get my diet because he was doing a you know testing it at his table at gen con and uh, he was like no no you don't need that here's a deck of cards and i was like yes yeah so i think it's incredibly important as much as D D is a very good uh jumping off point it's a it's a very good gateway drug to the rest of the world of tabletop gaming it is it is a gateway drug and that's that's really the joy of D D. it's like it's a great place to start it's a staple it's a foundation uh, yeah but once you've done it a lot i really encourage you to go try something else like just go try something else there's so 
many games. There's so many games. Yeah, and maybe not all of them fit you. Like I tried Shadowrun, which I understand a lot of people love. That's not my game. That's fine. I had to find one that I more enjoy. Yep. Um, so you can try it, a bunch of different ones. So like that wasn't my favorite, but I had so much fun la- playing Lasers and Feelings at a, like a random game shop. Like yeah. So you just have to keep trying. Like go to your game shops, find out what they're playing. Go if you if you can financially do it. Everyone should go to Gen Con because it genuinely is a ridiculous experience playing all those all those different games. And your local conventions. And your local conventions, for sure. For sure. I, I Apparently, there's a bunch in Arizona that we need to go to. That's cool. Hit me up about those, actually. <laughs> yes, I will be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's a fun question that I always – I think I you, I think I asked this last time because I just like it. Um, what is one of your biggest DM missteps and how did you fix it? So a time you maybe – Maybe you let a roll go that you shouldn't have and now everything's really overpowered and you, you kind of messed up and you got to fix it. Or you said you said yes to a player doing something and now you've gotten into a pickle that you can't get out of. How did you fix it? Starting with Lizzie. This is one of those um, beginner GM situations where I should have taken some very good advice but I didn't because I thought it would it would be fine. It would be okay. So I was starting my first campaign in person. I was really excited. I had found a group of six girls who were interested in playing and we're going to do Fandover. And I said, great. How long could character creation possibly take oh, with no. six brand new never made characters? Yeah, it took, it easily took four hours. I prepared a one shot for like an introductory one shot to see if this was something they were interested in. It was a nightmare. Oh, God. It was such a nightmare. Yeah, session zero is is a must. (laughs) I highly, that was supposed to be like a session zero, but because they, because I was still new as a DM and because they were all brand new to RPGs, they were like, I mean, they had watched a lot of videos online and like they had seen every episode of other things and certain podcasts and stuff. They're like, they didn't have any specific experience. So when it comes to, okay, we're going to do the character sheet, it took so long. And that's not their fault. That's definitely my fault. So how would I fix it? Definitely not do that again. Uh, <laughs> when... <laughs> I, I periodically teach uh, tables, D&D 5th edition, and these are tables of randos that I'm, I'm going in blank. And I bring one character sheet for each class that's already filled in with all of the mechanics, and I've already chosen spells. These are for one shots, otherwise I would not only choose spells for them. So they get to pick the character's name. They get to figure out the character's alignment. They get to personalize it. But I do the mechanics for them so that they can concentrate on learning the mechanics of playing the game. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. Yeah. And if I did another campaign again, I would very specifically limit the amount of time and the amount of what we would be doing in a session zero to okay, are we going to build characters? Do we want to have a discussion about our characters first and then we'll do this? Like, uh, guide that conversation a lot easier. 
Mm -hmm. That's it. That completely makes sense. Having something created, especially for someone who doesn't really know what's going on, that I find that's a really big deterrent, especially for people who have never played an RPG. Sitting down to create their character and finding out how much work goes into creating a character, like it can sometimes make people not want to play before they even start the game because it's just too much. It's overwhelming. So having being like, here's your character, here's how to play the game, like that's a lot easier than the next time they go in, they're like, okay, now that I know how to play the game, I can make my own character. I think that's a lot. That's a way of dipping your toe in the water <laughs> for D&D. And I honestly didn't think there was a way to dip your toe in the water in D&D. I kind of thought you just kind of had to cannonball in. <laughs> so that is a very good tip. Chelsea, what is one of your biggest DM missteps and how did you fix it? I make so many mistakes, you guys. <laughs> And that's okay. Like, I say that. I say that completely openly and shamelessly because, like, we learn from mistakes, right? Um, I'm trying to think of, like, one specific one um, that, like, really was really impactful, really important. Like, I really bought. I mean, we are all eventually, we're all, you will all make the mistake of, like, leveling them up too quickly. You're all going to make the mistake of giving them a magic item that's, like, so stinking powerful that you regret it. Those kinds of things. Um but I find that my biggest mistakes, the ones that I learn the most from, are usually based on how I facilitate the table. It's learning a lot about the facilitation of the table. And so, like, there have been times where, you know, I run a game or a campaign and a player reaches out to me afterwards and said that they felt like they were unheard. Because everybody was role-playing and they weren't a role-player, which is how I learned to start asking the question, right? Uh, how are you feeling? How is your character feeling? I even made a mistake, I think. Uh, so I'm running – I do have a home game right now. I'm running with some people – uh, from the theater that I work at. They're really great, and we kind of just all started to come together. And usually the first three games are the hardest because everybody's, like, trying to get their footing. We're trying to get in our character. We don't know anything. The GM has all the answers. Like, the, the autonomy's not quite there yet. And so they're all coming together. I'm trying to get them on the same track, which we all know is a thing. And so mm -hmm. one character I gave, um, kind of pre-gave the mission to so, like, he could show up and be there and have the most grounding factor and so forth and so on. And he did not, his character did not want everybody joining in on his mission did not plan for that, right? The character was like, well, this is my mission. You gave it to me. I don't want them coming along with me. Now, what he wasn't <laughs> telling us is that he was playing a completely in character. He wanted everybody to. What he expected the players to do was to follow him, right? Like, secretly follow him, and, but that didn't happen. And so I, not knowing, there was just this miscommunication that was happening at the table, and the players kept going like, no, let us come with you. We'll keep you safe. He wanted to be in character and be like, no, I don't need your help as a squatty little 15-year-old teenager. Dur, 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 right? And so there was all this, like begging them to let him come he was like no you can't come with me and i realized that i had had an npc there that i could have solved the problem with the npc right it was an older npc character who's very wise and he was skimming this mission he could have simply said let the boy go mm -hmm. why don't you follow him tomorrow morning and keep him safe right so there was something that i could have done as a gm and it you sometimes you just can't see it until hindsight right because you're dealing with a lot at the table you're trying to do stats you're trying to do dice and all the players want to do their own thing and they've all got questions and they each want to make a perception roll for something different and right and so you're dealing with all of these things at a table and it happens so i think the mistake will be there but it's more important to like accept that you're gonna make mistakes and be okay with yourself make those mistakes and then learn from them like yeah. the learning part i think is the most important so you know like learn to take something away from it say okay how can i do it better next time 
Yeah. I like to ask, ask this question just because um, I think as players, sometimes we can see our, our GMs is infallible or that they think that they're infallible. Like if they make a call and we are like, uh, I don't think that's how the mechanic works. I want to feel comfortable enough to say that mm -hmm. to my DM or my GM, like, and us look it up without it being like a weird, awkward power struggle. Like, I think acknowledging as a GM that you will make mistakes and there are times that you could improve a situation is important, especially in front of your players. Yep. So that they know that you understand that it's, 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 again, an open, inclusive environment. I think it all just comes back. We're all going to miss a stat here. We're all going to forget something there. We're going to disagree on whether or not you can roll a nat 20 on yes. a critical success on a skill check. Like, we're all <laughs> going to disagree about those things. Again, I think as the GM, you have a very important role at the table, which is setting the tone. Mm -hmm. And if you set a combative tone, then your players will be combative. If you say, okay, so I, I can go into it. Like, I learned that the hard way, too. Of like, me one time, like, that's not how an attack of opportunity works. You know? <laughs> like, rah, 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 rah. And I come out the other side, I was like, why did it matter? We're trying yeah. to tell a story and have fun. Just let him do the thing. And you know what? The player's hand guide, for those of you at home that haven't read it cover to cover, I suggest you do because it says in the player's hand guide, as well as the Dungeons Master's Guide for 5e, that sometimes the rules don't matter. They are not as important as story. Yeah. It literally says that. It says that. In the front of the book. <laughs> so, like, get off your high horse. <laughs> that sometimes you can throw these rules out the window and do yeah. what you want. And if it means everybody having more fun, yeah, do it. Yes. Do it. Yes. And it's incredibly important. I think that's always important for DMs and GMs to just know when it's appropriate to bend those rules in order to have fun for your players, for sure. So our next question, and this is always fun. What's your biggest pet peeve for your players? So what is something that your players can do that just kind of drives you up a wall? Starting with Lizzie. Yeah, so I said before, I, I teach a lot of D&D. I teach beginners D&D. And there's always a point. A, a lot of new players will just test things out, and that's okay. I can handle them testing things out. Like, for example, I had a player who was like, we play a lot of, the players said they played a lot of RPG video games. And uh, they wanted to do this certain kind of move that I knew was a tactic in, like, the Dark Souls series. I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing. I'm going to reward you in one hand for the creativity. But, you know, that's not necessarily how this game works. You don't need to do that. <laughs> you won't necessarily get the bonus you're looking for. So one of the things I set up when I introduced CD is that... When you want to do something, the way the dialogue should go, and this might just be a me thing, other people do things very differently, I want you to tell me what you want to do, and I'll tell you what that role looks like. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it kind of keeps things in a role-playing space, and not in a, I'm a person rolling dice, let me look on this list for the number space. Yes. Right? I agree. When, and it's, it's Yeah. It keeps the player in that kind of headspace because you're like, okay, I want to attack this thing. And instead of being like trying to describe your moves or exactly the reading the spell off, being like, okay, I want to run over here. Is it possible for me to jump over the car that's there and kick the guy in the face? <laughs> and then your GM can be like, yes, actually, you could do this and use your movement. Or your GM can be like, 
I don't know. I don't think I'm going to allow that this time. That that seems like two actions. I was going to say, we have the same answer. Uh, she and I do. Because this is my, <laughs> don't ask me a question. You're not asking permission. Mm-hmm. You're not asking permission at my table. Stop asking permission. Can I do the thing? I don't know. Can you? <laughs> what do you want to do? Tell me yes. what you want to do. Um, so many, um, one of the games I'm playing right now, Scum and Villainy, is like that. The GM does not call a roll. The player calls a roll. I want to tap into that thing using a da 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 And then the GM just sets up the things around it. Well, that's risky, but the outcome could be great, right? So uh, my job is just setting you up for that success. But, like, don't stop asking permission. Not in d no. No, just tell me what you want to do, and I'll be like, this is it. Just tell me what you want to do. You're like, I want to stab that thing. Great. Make an attack roll, right? Yeah. Um, I want to search the room for something. Great. Roll an investigation. Like, but don't ask me, can I search the room? Well, do you have, does your character have two eyes in its head? Oh, no. What I can't stand is when people are like, oh, I want to stealth. Okay. So like, what are you doing? I'm stealthy. No, no, no. What are you doing? Are you creeping along slowly? Right. right. Squatting is not a qualification. <laughs> yeah. Like, tell me what you're doing. <laughs> or they're like, I get a lot of players. Um, this is a pet peeve of mine. Athletics and acrobatics are different. Yes. It's a huge thing. And I get it all the time. And it's like, oh, well, I'd like to run beside them, but I want to use acrobatics. I'm like, great. Tell me what that looks like. Because running is an athletics check. Now, if you want to do front handsprings all the way down, <laughs> that's an acrobatics, right? And they're like, well, but I don't want to draw attention to myself. <laughs> then you're not and rolling in acrobatics just because it's your higher stack, right? And that's, that is, that's a level of metagaming. And I am a huge, exactly, I do not yeah. appreciate metagaming at my table. Now, some tables really love metagaming and, and there is a place for it, but I, not at my table. Um, I want you to own the moment. And it may, again, you're not in it to win it. It may mean that you're not good at something. Your character yeah. can't be good at everything. It's a 20. 20, you have a 5% chance to get any number on there. Right. So there's a, a large percent chance that you will just not achieve this. Right. You will not get what you want out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like when um, when two characters are looking at a bookshelf or a, a desk full of papers, and the rogue says, "Oh, um, I have a minus one investigation. Can the wizard do it?" It's like, "No, no, no! You're the one who had this idea. Own it. You could roll yep. a twenty. You could roll an eighteen. Yep. Like that's metagaming in itself. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Now, now, if your character goes investigates." rolls poorly and says, I didn't find anything. Would you check it out? Now that's good role play and moves the story along. Exactly. Yes. It moves things forward. But yeah, if you make a choice, make a choice. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a huge trap, huge trap that players fall into. We do on the podcast all the time and we always catch ourselves. We'll be like in the middle of doing something and be like, okay, well, Safina has the highest wisdom. So you should go over there and do that. And it's like, Okay, well, <laughs> but do, do your play, do your characters? Yeah, well, we would yeah. have known at that point. That's a little right. early for us to know about yeah. that. Or like, my character hates your character. I wouldn't. I would not stop to be like, "Hey, can you go?" I'd, I'd rather do it myself because I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Like, you have to think in your character. And I think a lot of players uh, definitely default to the character sheet. They're like, "Okay, well, that person's better at this, so you make the skill check." I did an experiment one time. It really erupted my players a little bit, but I took their character sheets from them. I was like, we're going to a party today. Tonight we're going to a party. You guys are going to this banquet. You don't need these. Taking them from you. If you want to do something, tell me and I'll tell you what to add. And it was panic. 
It was like it was like ripping a child from a mother's arms. They were like, "What? No, no, no! We need those. I don't know what's on it." And I was like, "Yes, you do. We've been playing this campaign for twelve sessions. I hope you know what is on that character sheet. Let go a little bit." And I was like, "Live in the moment. We're gonna go to a party." Yeah, it's not like you need your special skills. You don't. You don't need all your weapons because they're gonna take them at yeah. the door anyways. You don't need your spells. You know you have mage hand. You've used you it. Just have you to know. RP. You've used it. Yeah, you use it. It's the only spell you use quite frequently yeah. to do everything. I know that as your GM. <laughs> <laughs> I know you know that. So yeah, there's. And again, that's like an extreme version. And I did it to, to, to make a point to my players and they still had a great time. And I think they learned a lot about letting go and not living off your character sheet about it. But yeah, I think, you know, I'm glad that all three of us are in a grant. Yeah, that yeah. gave me anxiety. <laughs> I was like, no, it's like taking a pacifier away from a kid. Like you're like, yeah, oh, it's like, no. don't take it from me. It's like, it's a crutch. Excuse me. That's my emotional support character sheet. Yeah. It's my, my, yeah. <laughs> I need that, please. <sighs> yeah, no, I totally get it. That would honestly be wild. That's a very good idea for DMs to do to their players, for sure. <laughs> I also did a campaign. This also really upset them. I did a campaign one time, or a, a one-shot one time, where we were in the middle of a campaign, and they were in a setting, and they were getting ready to come in contact with a bunch of goblins. So when they came in the next time, I took their character sheets and handed them the goblin character sheets. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, you're playing the goblins that you're here to to, to assassinate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my like, gosh what and they had this moment i was like stories coming from two sides yay right because they were a bunch of murder i taught this was a lesson i taught them because they were a bunch of murder hobos they killed everything Mm -hmm. and i was like not everything deserves to be killed if you take a moment and do some investigating talk to something chat with an animal for pete's sake anything anything other than killing it you might learn something because they're like we don't really know where we're going with the story oh because You've killed everything that can tell you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You've killed every lead that you had. So do me a favor. So this was about now they had to get into the mindset of the thing they were supposed to kill. And what they learned is that the goblins were actually being framed for a larger wow. thing. So that when we went back the next session and they actually came up on the they could ask the questions, they could do the things. So they you know, that duality of it. But yeah. Yeah. Don't be makes- murder hobos incredible sense yeah and again another trap a lot of players fall into is the murder hobo i think i think part of that comes from um sometimes you'll be as a player there'll be a few sessions where it's it's all rp and i think it starts getting to a point where you're like itching for combat and so the second you get to a situation in which something can be attacked the players automatically are like finally it's combat time and they go like they just kill it (laughs) like they don't think about it right a lot of people really mistake the rogues activity. I get this a lot. Most of your most of your murder hobos are going to be rogues. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, I took the thief thing, but I want to stab it. And it's like, but you're not an assassin. Assassins want to kill everything. Yeah, you're a thief. You want to steal You're a it. thief. Why do you want to stab everything? Like, you know, or better yet, assassins work on contract. Nobody's paying you to kill. Mm-hmm. Right? So why are you killing randomly? That's a whole other thing, you know? Because they get a stealth bonus. It's a case of the mechanics kind of feeding into what a certain type of player wants to do. They want to hit for 20 points at level four. Right? And it's like, what if I I did a whole campaign where combat was secondary? Completely secondary. It was a politics-based game. Ooh. And it was like they my I was like, you can you could fight all you want, but in the world that we're playing in, if you kill somebody on the street or they find out it was you, you're gone. The stakes are high here, people. You can't kill everything, right? That was another thing. Making your players like step outside of, of what they expect and this idea of being a murder hobo and building everything off stats. Mm-hmm. 
if I were to stat myself out on a character sheet, my fight skill would be garbage. Very, very low. Let's <laughs> very be real, low. right? Like I'm a real person. And, but I have a lot of other things that would be very, very high. Um, and so fighting is not the be all end all. It's just not. My uh, cat petting skill is like pretty high, but my sleeping skill is like right up there. Right? So when you walk into that village of Tabaxi. Yeah. Who's got the upper hand here? Exactly. Me. And then we're going to take a nap. Not the guy with the sword. <laughs> <laughs> the person with the cat petting skills. Exactly. Yeah. Hashtag animal handling. Um, okay. <laughs> Would that be wisdom or charisma? Wisdom? Wisdom, right? Wisdom. I think for cats, it would be wisdom. Dogs, it's charisma. Fair. I need an example of a charisma-based animal handling check. Right? (laughs) Such a good puppy. Such a good pretty puppy. Oh my gosh. Charisma-based animal handling is like those people who perform on the America's Got Talent shows with the animals. Like with the cats. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Done. And then you could add performance for you know, proficiency if you had it. There you go. But so coming up on our final question, in general, do you have any advice for someone looking for a more inclusive table? So maybe someone who is they've played at a few tables, they've but they just have not found a good place where they feel comfortable enough to RP or they feel like they've found their table. What is your advice to them? Starting with Lizzie. So I have some pretty specific advice because I get asked this all the time. I get a lot of people coming to my beginner one-shot table saying, this is great, but how do I meet people? How do I find other people to play with? So one of those things is finding RPG events and playing one-time games with people and not setting yourself up for a possible campaign with people you don't know yet. So that's like number one is just meeting people. Another related if you find a local board game group you'll probably find some rpg players it's true right so going to board game events also lets you meet people who hopefully have the healthy type of competition that you might need in the game right it gives you a sense of how they play games and that's important for anything Mm -hmm. and there's enough downtime in board games where you can tell like are these friendly? Could I hang out with these people for four hours, six hours? And that's like really the most important part. Yeah, especially if you're going to be sitting down not only just for a few hours for like a one shot, but like if you're committing to a a book, like you're going to play through like Curse of Strahd. Good God, you better make sure you like those people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's really important. And it's really hard to do that online. There are um, a lot of places where you can find one shots online. I know I spend way too much time on Discord, and on Discord there are different communities that host one shot events. And part of the reason why people attend those is to see if they mesh with anyone else. See if hey, oh, this is a person I know, and we played together, and I like the way that they played. Maybe I want to be in a campaign with them. Another thing, if you're looking for a game on, say, Roll20 or a different online format, and I guess in person too, but mostly online, uh, make sure you vet people. When I found, I was looking for an online game a couple of years ago at this point, and I was very suspicious because I had been a part of a couple of online games in the past that were just... They weren't great situations. They weren't terrible, but 
but they weren't places where I felt like my voice was respected as much as other people. So when I'd found this game, I messaged the DM and I requested that I would sit in on a game to see how they did it without agreeing to anything. We spoke about our D&D experiences with each other. We talked about his philosophy for DMing and just went through a lot of these basic, it's, it's an interview and you need to have an interview. How do you know that you're going to mesh with someone if you're going to spend, if you're going through a book, that's over 40 hours. Yeah, that's wild. That's a commitment. Yeah. That's a so, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd like to marry strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, wait. <laughs> Don't do that. We know what happened to his last break. Wait. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. So uh, it, it actually is at the point where I kind of find it to be um, a bit of a red flag if DMs do not vet their players, because that means that the DM does not know who's coming to the table. And they could be someone I'm not comfortable with. Yeah, if you're sitting down to play like a whole game and your DM is like, hey, here's this person I met four minutes ago. Yeah. And I know nothing about them. They're going to be with us for the next year. (laughs) You're like, no, thank you. Exactly. Yeah, it's very difficult. But what if they're mean? (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's literally that simple for me as a player. I'm like, but what if they're mean to me? (laughs) Like it's and it's so weird, but like it brings back all those like childhood being picked on things, I think sitting down to play a game that is mostly requires you to be pretty vulnerable and open and you have to be or you're not going to enjoy yourself if you sit there and you're not interacting and you're not talking you're not going to have fun so a game that you have to be open and you have to be out there and you have to do it in front of this complete stranger (laughs) for a one shot that's one thing but for like you have to do a whole game with a stranger like the whole point is that hopefully they won't be strangers but if it's nice to know that starting at the beginning, this person is not going to create an issue in the group. You know that everyone going into the group is going to fit together. You know that everyone's kind of on the same wavelength. Everyone's aware of where we want the game to go and we're aware of the guidelines and the rules. Then sitting down to play a game together rather than just, hey, I found this guy. I think his name's Matt. Max? Max. Max is going to play this game with us. Like, no, thank you. I don't want Max to play this game with us. Max might be a perfectly nice individual, but you didn't check. So I don't know how much I can trust But he might be a Nazi. Yeah, that's also a possibility. It's 2019 and that blows, but I I do have to ask that question. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes just straightforward. Our friends in New York uh, had a game shop that they went to all the time. And one day they went in for something that they were looking at the dice. They were over in the dice section and they found out in a very not great way that the owner of the game shop was a literal, actual Nazi. No, thank you. That's okay. Bye. I guess I can never go here ever again. Ever. Yeah. Yep. Bye. They were like, oh, okay. And they turned heel and left. But they were like, what? <laughs> This is New York. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That was their first response. But the second one is like, you just don't know. Even in like in gaming, in places that you think should be a comfortable environment, they not always are. They aren't always. So starting off the first foot in your game and being like, hey, this is a safe environment. This is a comfortable environment. I, as your GM, have made sure of that. This next year of our lives together is going to be great. Yeah. Especially if you don't take those steps, the game's not going to last. It's going to fall apart in two months. No one's going to come back and no one knows what happens to Strahd. So 
then you just screwed yourself. He repents, gets married, and has a wonderful life. <laughs> yep, that's what happens. Yeah. Everybody in Barovia lives happily ever after. Yes, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Chelsea, same question. Any advice on someone looking for a more inclusive table? Three, I have three things. Be brave. You have to be brave. A lot of gamers, we are we are insular people. You have to be brave. You got to go out there and you're going to have to look for one, especially if it's not falling in your lap. History is made by people who show up. Go find a meetup. Go to Roll20 and ask around. Hit a Discord server. Another great way. Two, it's easier now than ever thanks to online to find a game. I actually kind of disagree with that. It is, it is very easy to find a game online. There are yeah. more than ever before. Go hit a Twitch channel. There are so many open community games. I could list 10 channels right now that have monthly open community games that you can play in. Mm-hmm. And because those communities, like my own, are already a safe environment, people who aren't safe don't sign up. Mm-hmm. That's that's just it. They don't want to be there because they know I'm going to call them out or ban them from the game. Period. Right? Like that. that's just how it works. So knowing that, go find a channel or a space you love. Like go hit up... Um, Scraticus Academy. I do a monthly um, nine hours of RPG on a Sunday once a month called Sunday Fun Day. I drink mimosas out of a jug and we have a great <laughs> damn time. Okay, um, there are communities out there that you can you can go be a part of and um, get an opportunity. And a lot of these Discord servers, even my Discord server, has a channel that's like seeking players, seeking games, and you can just toss yourself out there. Three. If you, if and when you start to look for people, you need to know what you're looking for. If you can't voice and put out very clearly what it is that you're looking for at a table, how is somebody else supposed to offer that to you? Mm-hmm. That's so important, right? You need to know, I want a diverse table. Great. There immediately, you need to say, I don't want to be at an all white table. And that JM may be like, well, it is an all white table. And maybe like, well, that's not for me. Move along. Too. Like you, you just need to be able to list those things out. Like I want, I want to be an inclusive table. I, when I sit down, the first thing I ask about, do is role play more important or mechanics more important? Because if everybody at the table says RP is more important, you say mechanics, this isn't your table. Yeah. But if you don't know what you want out of it, if you can't actually put words to it, then how is anybody else supposed to know? How are you ever going to be able to identify if you're in the right place? So figure out what you want out of it. Yeah. And the way you do that is, I think, going back to your number one point is being brave and joining some of those one shots and finding out what you like and what you don't like at a table. And if my rule with finding a table and like a group of people to come together, three one shots before you create a campaign, you need to play three one shots with that group of people successfully complete it. Everybody shows up. Because commitment is one of the biggest things that breaks apart a table. It never has to do with the game. Commitment. Mm-hmm. Right? We all want to be there. We all want to do the thing. The Those things are just like, it's, it's yeah, it's just, those, uh, there, there are things that you can do and things that are outside of your control. But three, three games together will let you know if it's the right table for you. And if in those three games things go smoothly, then be brave and start a campaign. Yeah, it's that three date rule. You know what that three means? Three date rule. Don't say <laughs> three dates. Before you commit. Honestly. Yeah. Three dates. Yeah. I mean, we all we all have the stories of those tables that we, that the games that started that never were, that were. Or never <laughs> finished. Or think people dwindled out and they stopped showing. Or they never updated their character sheets. The commitment. Yes. Commitment's not just showing up. Commitment's also the dedication to the craft. Like, to the game. 
Are you updating your character sheet? Do you know your spells before you show up? Exactly. Uh, and some, and it's also knowing your DM, like some GMs are completely okay with like you asking the same question 400 times. Other ones are like, hey, I've told you what initiative order is like 40 times. You know what advantage means. Please stop asking me. Like pay more attention. Yep. And if you are a kind of person who's going to be forgetful and like, it, which is fine. It's again, an inclusive table. If you're a person who you know you're not going to remember the rules very well, and that's just something that you struggle with, find a table, find a GM that's okay with that. That is like, yeah, I'll repeat the rules as many times as you need me to. Like, that's cool. But if you're always at a table with someone who's like getting annoyed with you, maybe that's not your table. Or ask the GM for a cheat sheet. Yeah. There's that bravery again, right? You need help with something. Your GM is supposed to be that person that you can go to for that. So go to them and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. You have told me this over and over and it's not sitting or I can't remember. You know, I have a player. The player's handbook is too much for them. Yeah. It's too much information. It's overwhelming and it causes them to shut down. So I don't allow them to look through the player's handbook anymore. (laughs) I've taken it from them. You can't have this because it, it, it literally paralyzes them in game. Yeah, that's fair. So I, instead, instead, I've sent them to D&D Beyond where they can search their question, right? And and they took us like, I, I had bought all these books for people and stuff. And they were like, I could see the anxiety, the angst, right? And when they came to me, they said, the player's handbook is too much for me. They're dyslexic, too many charts and tables. Completely valid. Right? Another inclusivity thing that people don't realize, simply being like, go home and make your character. Oh, gosh, no. Right? (laughs) No, don't do that. No. So, anyways, I got off on a little bit of a tangent. But, yeah, be brave. Seek out new communities and communities that you admire because in there somewhere is a place for you. That's why it's called a community. And the bottom line is that your table's out there. Yeah, it's out there. Your table's out there no matter what you want to, like – if this is what you want to want, want to accomplish, you want to be a murder hobo, there's a murder hobo table. Yep. You want a GM that's going to try to TPK every every session, there's one out there. Yeah, there's a grinder GM out there somewhere. Yeah. But if you want one that's more RP, like you just have to be brave, go out there, find your tables and do and find your people, find your table. And know what you want. Yeah. Be brave and know what you want. Yeah. Hopefully you're not hitting the dating scene yeah. or your Tinder profile, not knowing what you want. Cause then you're just swiping all the, like you need to know what you want before you go shopping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you have to know what you want before you go shopping. Or you're just going to wander the grocery store and spend two hours in the grocery store and get all the things you don't actually need. And then come home and realize that you forgot the stuff to make dinner. Yeah. Like <laughs> it completely makes sense. Honestly, I'm incredibly honored and excited that both of you joined me for this podcast. And especially I love the dynamic that, both of you have created here just because we've got someone who mostly does online gaming and someone who is more in their local store and um, kind of working with people new to D&D and things like that. Like I think, but you both have so much more, so much in common. I don't know. I love that. <laughs> oh my God. When you started talking games <laughs> and I was like, we have the same game list. Yeah. Let's just stop here. We can yeah. skip this question. You know, we will have to actually go over that later because I need suggestions. Yeah. Oh my God. I've got, I got, I got, I got a wall of games back here. <laughs> so many games. You want to yeah. just send me a list? Yeah. Just type up a list. We'll send you a list. Great. Play perfect. all of these games. It'll be perfect. Yes. I mean, it, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, the fact that they're, this is exactly what we mean by find your table whether it's in your local game store or if it's online either way there's there's people out there there's dms out there waiting for you (laughs) like and you just you gotta be raven go find them 
so here's a section where I'm going to let you guys uh, plug whatever you need to. Go ahead and give your Twitter handle. Tell me all your projects. Tell me what you got going on. Or just tell me fun facts. <laughs> this is your time, uh, starting with Lizzie. Two things. I rolled well on initiative for the first time ever. <laughs> of course. <laughs> now is when. <laughs> well, in the vein of Village Idiots, you can find me online at, <laughs> at L-I-Z-Y underscore capital B-R on Twitter. Otherwise, I'm involved in my local uh, Phoenix area with Do Better Gaming. That is a women's plus organization trying to bring inclusivity and diversity to gaming, especially in the Phoenix Valley currently. And um, we do that through hosting events that are uh, women and non-binary spaces, inclusive spaces, as well as teaching beginner's tables to whoever wants to sign up and sit with us and let us try to teach them games. We run D&D. We also have run in the past Honey has blazing feelings and paranoia. So a couple more games coming up after that. If anyone wants to check that out, we are primarily on Facebook. That is Do Better Gaming, all one phrase. The other thing I'm involved with, I got started with World Building Magazine a couple years ago, and it's grown into not only an invaluable free resource for people who are interested in world building, but an excellent Discord server community. So that can be found at worldbuildingmagazine.com. All issues are up for free PDF download. That's fantastic. Yeah, and that's it. Do Better Gaming is fantastic. And all of their stuff that they post and they do is great. So if you're in the Phoenix area, definitely check them out. Chelsea, what do you have going on? <laughs> so much stuff. Uh, Her face says it all. I'm Chelsea. Uh, online and through Twitch, most people know me as Little Red Dot. You can find me on both Twitch and Twitter as Little underscore Red underscore Dot. Um, my community is called the Dot Lot. Um, and at the Dot Lot, we are all dots. Um, Love it. And, and dots support one another and dots create community together and tell stories. So that's what my channel is all about. That, that's what I do like 30 hours a week everybody <laughs> um so i uh yeah i'm a gm and i'm a digital storyteller so uh, i host a lot of games on my own twitch channel but then i play for a lot of other networks as well including unmade gaming which has a monthly charity game uh which is open to sign up for you can always hit my sunday fun day i mentioned that as well you can always reach out and just gm me um join my my discord uh, the dot lot discord and uh yeah, there's lots of games. Right now I'm running a Witch Girl Adventure campaign, a Scum and Villainy campaign. On Thursday nights I'm playing a Simbarum campaign. You can check me out in the North by Northwest podcast. I just took over the GM seat for our fourth volume. Uh, that's done actually locally with some of my friends here in Atlanta. Then Saturdays you can check me out in a very intense, I'm going to put this out there, intense Vampire the Masquerade campaign. It is not for the face of part, uh, that's for sure. And yeah, and then I play Cypher System on Sundays. So uh, lots of places and areas that you can catch me. I do a lot of panels at uh, different conventions, including Dragon Con, MoMA Con, and Gen Con. And next year I'll be hitting PAX U as well. And then uh, 
it this time next year i'm so excited to announce uh, more information coming um if you like cruises and you like D, you can come take a cruise with me what? and i'll be gming so i'm gonna be a guest gm on something called d3 at sea uh, we'll be leaving from vancouver and going down the west coast to la uh, but it's an all D themed cruise uh there'll be D events we're gonna stop in seattle and get to go see wizards of the coast facilities as part of your ticket so Dang, yeah, lots cool. of really it's gonna be really cool. I'm very excited. <laughs> so lots of cool places. Like you can check me out lots of them. But the best way to keep up with me is my Twitter or my Discord. Um, I do also have a Facebook page, so for anybody that's still on the Facebook world, I'm over there as well. Um, but yeah, uh, this has been really cool. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. Um, Chelsea and I actually knew each other from uh, from years and years and years ago. Way we were, back when. <laughs> <laughs> we were actors together in Atlanta. We did uh, some outdoor Shakespeare at Barrington Hall. It's true. You can find you can actually find that on YouTube. <laughs> you can. There are actually I think still pictures. The the those pictures are out there somewhere. We did Measure for Measure set in the twenties. And it was absolutely fantastic. And working with Chelsea was great. And then knowing her ever since then has been great. Oh, I know. I remember being so – I remember when you told me you were moving from Atlanta. I was like, wait, what? I know. Like, you, like there are so many of um, – you know, when you first move to the city, they're just people that become a staple in your mm-hmm. life here. And you're like, they're always just here. Like, these are the people that were here when I got here. So, therefore, they're always going to be here. <laughs> you were just one of those people. I was like, you know? I know. And then I moved here. But it – it worked out. You seem so happy, though. I am. It is lovely Good. here, and I got Good. to meet people like Lizzie and do better gaming. And there's still Thank you. <laughs> wherever you move, there's your local game store will be there for you. <laughs> yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Okay. Thank you both for coming on. It's been absolutely fantastic, amazing insight, amazing advice. Two sides of the same coin, and I absolutely adore both of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, would you both like to join me in an awkward uh, Village Idiots bye? Uh, Chelsea, you, you don't know what this is, but did you just say bye really uncomfortably. Oh. Ready? One, okay, two, oh. three. Goodbye! Okay, Goodbye! Okay, I was twice as awkward because I did it twice! <laughs>